Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Good words for us all. Let me welcome you to this ministry. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm so appreciative of the fact that you've joined us tonight. And it's always my prayer that this will be a blessing both in word and music. So welcome. Now would you please hear God's word from the 27th Psalm. Hear the word of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, all our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. It's an absolute bestseller. I'm talking about everything. The weather forecast, the nightly news, the economy, illness, spreading war, whatever it is, you name it. I'm talking about fear. Fear sells everything. If we'll just do this or that, we can protect ourselves. And by the way, whatever happened to the words of Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his 1933 inaugural address, you remember what he said? He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. As you know, fear is running rampant across our land. But it's not only a modern visitor. The ancients also had their fears. It was during this time that the Psalms, especially Psalm 27, was written and used. For the ancients, this was not an easy time. Starvation was a constant threat. War ravaged nations. Everybody, for the most part, died young. As a matter of fact, the age of 40 was considered old age. For sure, the ancients had a tough time. They faced a violent society in which they were afraid. Well, what did these ancients do with their fears? They prayed and sang psalms centered in God and God's guidance. 
That was when Psalm 27, such a wonderful psalm of strength and help, really helped people. Here again, the majestic words of the first verse of this song. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then there is verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Now, when the psalmist tells us three times in these first three verses that he's not afraid, I get the feeling the message is that he is afraid, but he's doing everything he can to master his circumstances. So where does his strength come to deal with his fears? It comes from the Lord, his God, who not only delivers him from his problems, but promises to be with him in his problems. So what do we do when fear surrounds us? I think we take our cue from this psalmist in Psalm 27. First, we can trust the all-sufficiency of God. We trust the all-sufficiency of God. Some years ago, a movie was made called Defending Your Life. It starred Albert Brooks and it starred Meryl Streep. The situation was people who died went to heaven. There their lives were examined. They were brought into a courtroom. There would be a defense lawyer and a prosecutor. They were brought in there and their lies would be played back before and they would point out certain things. But the real strange thesis of all of this was not that this trial was to determine whether they had been virtuous or wicked. The trial was there to determine whether they had conquered fear. You see, fear seemed to be the goal of life and conquering it. We trust in the all-sufficiency of God. With trust in God, the psalmist fights off his fears. In other words, he thinks more of God than he does his fears. Now, the writer of the book of Proverbs says, as a person thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I would say, what a person thinks about God has a lot to do with how he handles his fears or if he handles his fears. Note carefully then what the psalmist thinks about God in the midst of his fears. The psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? To the psalmist, God is the source of light. Now notice, the psalmist doesn't say the Lord gives light. The psalmist says the Lord is light. The Lord is light. Sam Shoemaker said that life can be lived on three levels. The instinct level, the conscious level, or the grace level. Now most of us live our lives on the conscious level. Every once in a while, they slip back to the instinct level, and sometimes that causes us problems. But as I said, most of us live our lives on the conscience level. But that is not enough, especially when we consider God's revelation of Jesus Christ, the light. What really is to happen here is we are to move from the conscience level to the grace level. In other words, the light is coming to the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Sometimes God reaches us in our fears through information. For instance, we simply understand that whatever happens, it'll be over shortly. It will not have a long life to bother us. And then sometimes it comes in the form of good news. Somebody reaches out to help us. Some fortune comes our way that we are not expecting. And then to the psalmist, God is the source of salvation. Now, as we stand from this point through Calvary and focus back on the salvation of this psalm, 
it means so much more to us now than it did then. Because we think of God's relentless love. We think of the death of Christ on the cross. And we think of our redemption. For instance, James Simpson was the man who discovered chloroform. Someone asked him what was his greatest discovery. Surprisingly, he said, to know Jesus Christ is my Savior. Then there is Tim Tebow, the great quarterback from the Denver Broncos. Do you realize that he went to see his mother at age six? And he said, Mother, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life. He said, I want to be saved. I need to be saved. And so they prayed. They prayed, and his confession brought about salvation. But as far as the writer of this psalm is concerned, salvation in Hebrew means deliverance. It means that this particular psalmist is being delivered from his enemies. We are being delivered from our fears. And then to the psalmist, God is the source of strength. In other words, this psalmist needed a refuge for his foes. He had it in the past. Now he was not going to be afraid of anything in the future as long as God was the stronghold of his faith. Now, we need to get this story of the New Testament in mind. Here was a great storm. It was rocking the ship. The disciples were fearful. What did they do? They asked Jesus for his help. Jesus awoke, and he looked out at the sea, and he calmed the storm. He rebuked the wind, and suddenly there was quiet. Now, if we read this story, this miracle, as if it were literal only, then it's a great story, and it's very moving. It happened once. It can never happen again, and it's irrelevant to us. But if we read it in a symbolic way, then this can happen over and over again. When these disciples trusted Jesus, the storm calmed, the wind ceased, and that's the way it is in life. I read about a conference that was being held between the senior minister and his staff of a church. As they began to discuss around this big table, they said, what do you think about the political situation in America? What do you think about the lack of trust in government? What do you think about the constant threat of war? What do you think about inflation and all of these kind of things? That senior minister said he thought a long time before he answered, but then he said, I'm very concerned about the things you're talking about but I'm not remotely concerned enough about them to let them get on top of me. He said, you see, these things are not my source. These things are not my source. God is my source. These things change and wither away. God doesn't change. God's constant. God is in the now. The psalmist looked at God as his strength. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German minister who was captured by the Nazis and held in a prison camp. Before the Allies could free him, he was put to death. But his words have brought deep meaning to the faith. He said, you know, we can get power for any kind of distress, but we can never get it in advance, lest we depend upon ourselves and not upon God, who makes it all possible. I think it was John Stott who said, the Lord is my light to guide me. The Lord is my salvation to deliver me. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, the stronghold of my life in whom I can take comfort and find strength. The all-sufficiency of God. And then secondly, we can realize that the church is crucial. Beginning at verse 4, we see that the psalmist's one great goal is to get to the house of the Lord. Listen to verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
I think he was looking for words to enhance his subject. For instance, he talked about the house of the Lord, his temple, his shelter, his tent. Now the question is, why in the world did that psalmist have this one obsessed thought of getting to the house of the Lord? It wasn't that he was so charmed by the visible house of the Lord. It was the fact that the beauty of the Lord was in that house. The beauty of the Lord, he was looking after and going after the beauty of the Lord, the comforting presence of God, but it was in the house. And that is very, very significant to notice it was in the house that he was looking for the presence of the Lord. There are some things we can find in the church, in the presence of worship, that we can't find anywhere else. In my early days, I preached a sermon, and that sermon was, what is different about a church service? Well, I thought then, I still think today. First of all, in a church service, we see the presence of Christ. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It is the gathered church at worship where the body of Christ is most together, the presence of Christ, then the presence of those who know Christ. That's another characteristic of the church, the presence of those who know Christ. I think there are people in every church who can say, I know whom I have believed. A little boy was heading off somewhere, and a man said, where are you going? The little boy said, I'm going to Sunday school. Why are you going to Sunday school? He said, to learn about God. How do you know there is a God? The little boy said, oh, my teacher knows him. I'm sure that Sunday school teacher made a regular habit of visiting the house of the Lord to worship when they had worship opportunities. And then the presence of those who are seeking, the presence of those who have a need. Do you know the only person out of place in a congregation is a person who does not have a sense of need? There was a vagabond coming through a community and stumbled into the vestibule of a church. He heard the people praying the congregation. They were praying the prayer of confession. We have not done the things we ought to have done. We have done the things we ought not to have done. And he looked up and said, at last, finally, I found the right crowd. It was his crowd. He found it out of a sense of need in a worship service. And then there is presence of those who are finding life in a church service. People are finding life. Years ago, a man stumbled into a church service. And he said, I heard this choir singing, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. And then he said, I screamed out, woe is me. He said, in that year, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I screamed out, woe is me, for I am a man of undone. I am a man of sin. But then I heard the voice of God say, who shall go for us? Whom shall I send? And I responded, here am I, send me. Now, how many times does that happen in a house of worship, in a worship service? There's no way of knowing. But of this, we are sure it does happen. It happens again and again and again. There's just something you gain in an experience in a house of worship that you don't gain in any other place. Now, if you're just looking for information, go to the Internet. If you're looking for a fellowship, just find a small group or a fellowship somewhere. But isn't it something to go into a church to sit in a pew, to listen to a choir and a congregation sing, to look up and see a cross, or to look up and see an altar or a pulpit or a lectern, to see a Bible, to hear the Word expounded, to participate in the sacrament. If you've experienced that, surely you have experienced the presence of God in that time. 
Now, I'm not saying the only place you can know God is in church. Far from it. But what I am saying is, there's a special place to experience God when you're worshiping with God's people in a congregation that's different than any other place on earth. And then there are some convictions we gain as we worship in a church. And I would just like to share, these are the things that we believe that we hear in church. We believe God loves us with enduring love. We believe God believes in us, and consequently we are empowered to believe in ourselves. That means our self-worth is assured. We believe God chose to be with us in Jesus Christ, and he will never leave us or abandon us. We believe God's adequacy is sufficient for our inadequacy. We believe that God is greater than our fears. We believe that God is able to complete that which he has begun in us. We believe that God does not want us to live fearful lives. Throughout the Bible, we're told to fear not. Fear not, the word says over and over again. So what can we do when fear surrounds us? Like the psalmist, we can realize the church is crucial and find our place in it. And then thirdly, we can live on a level path. Now there's an important verse in the 27th chapter. It's verse 11. I want you to listen to this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. The way we master our fears is to learn about God and to live on a level path. What is a level path? A level path is to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That's the level path. John Wesley was a man who thought he had a mighty faith until he got on board a ship one night going back from America to Europe. A fearful storm came up. Everybody was afraid, terrified, except for one little group of people, a group of Moravian missionaries. They didn't seem to be afraid. So when the storm passed, Wesley went over to one of the leaders and said, were you not afraid? Afraid? Why should I be afraid? I know Jesus Christ. And then the man looked at Wesley and said, do you know Jesus Christ? Immediately Wesley, Wesley knew at that point he didn't know him. But it was that moment that paved the way for his later experience when he had the warm heart. He came out of that experience that he actually met Christ and he became his personal savior. Now, hear what I'm saying. To overcome our fears, to master our fears, we have to live on a level path, and we have to use our brains. What I'd like to do just for a few minutes is share with you some suggestions for facing your fears. First of all, face your fears realistically. In other words, acknowledge your fears. Don't try to deny them. If you do, you'll find that you have more strength than you thought you had. Secondly, Perform dutifully. Eleanor Roosevelt once wrote these words, You can gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you stop to look fear in the face, and you are able to say to yourself, I live through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. You must do the thing you think you cannot do. Do your duty. Live courageously. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ, I know that I'm not going to run from any fear. That's settled through Christ. And then love intentionally. If we're told in the Bible, and we are, that love cast out fear, then the more love, the less fear. The more we love, the less we're able to be fearful. And then pray unceasingly. When we cry out to God for help, 
so often he answers us by sending another person. And isn't it better to go through life holding the hand of another person when we face our fears and finally trust unreservedly? Someone said, feed your fears and your faith will starve. Feed your faith and your fears will. There was a, a great minister who said, Max Lucado, God, he said, is the commander of every storm. Are you afraid in yours? Look at him. This may be your first flight, but be sure it isn't his. Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence. We're thankful that we can come to you bringing all of our fears and everything else of burdens in our lives. We're grateful that you told us to cast our burdens, fears upon you, and you would bear them, and you would enable us. Lord, we claim that promise, and we thank you. Thank you for these who have worshiped with us. We ask that you'd bless them, each one, at the point of their need, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. It's all in your name. Amen. Oh.